You're listening to the Naptime Empires podcast with my mom, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Mom, your show's on. Thanks, bud. I got it from here. Welcome to the Naptime Empires podcast, refreshingly honest conversations on the realities of parenthood and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Let's get started. Episode two, you know what that means. We are officially on a roll and I'm super excited about this episode. I have a feeling I'll say that about everyone, but in particular, I'm really happy for the opportunity to introduce you if you haven't met her yet to my dear friend, Dr. Christy Goodwin. I'll tell you more about how we met in just a second, but first let me read you her official bio. She's a speaker, an author, a mum, as you say in Australia, of two, and she takes the guesswork and guilt out of raising kids in the digital age. She arms parents like you and me with facts, not fears, about the best ways to parent when it comes to technology. She helps parents ditch the techno guilt and raise happy, healthy kiddos who thrive online and offline. Her book is called Raising Your Child in a Digital World, Finding a Healthy Balance of Time Online Without Techno Tantrums and Conflict. And I have something exciting to tell you about that in just a second. But first, a little background on how we met. So Christy was literally the second person out of several hundred now, to enroll in my signature program, A Course About Copy. So she started off as a dream student and then became a dream client, and now she has become a dear friend of mine. And I wanted our conversation to be the first non-my story sample that you hear because she's not just building her own naptime empire. Her naptime empire is directly related and relevant and beneficial to us. I mean, hello. I don't know about you, but I couldn't possibly imagine building my own naptime empire without the help and assistance of technology at some kind. Actually, right now, as I'm recording this, Bryson is sitting to my left in here in the closet slash studio, and he'll be the first to tell you. He loves some of these apps that actually Miss Christie, Dr. Christie, is going to be telling us about in just a few minutes. In this conversation, just a few things we cover. Why she doesn't believe balance is a goal worth striving for. How a conference call with one of the world's largest corporations forever changed how she operates as a mom and business owner. Why she sees kids as the greatest recalibration tool. The truth on screen time and green time, what really is healthy for kiddos and for us. I mean, hello. It's not just an issue with kiddos, let's be honest. What we need to know about what she calls infobesity, digital dementia, and the state of insufficiency. Plus, at the end of this conversation, we both share a couple of our most awkward slash embarrassing pumping stories. Air travel edition, so there's a bonus for you. In celebration of Christy and all of her awesome, and in celebration of the launch of the show, we're going to do a giveaway of a copy of her book. So make sure you head over to naptimeempires.com. Just click on the podcast tab to find the show notes for this episode for details on how to win. And that's all I got, my friend. Without further ado, enjoy a conversation with the brilliant Dr. Christy Goodwin. All right, my friend, Dr. Christy Goodwin, thank you for shifting schedules around so that we could do this because we had this entire conversation recorded. And then when we actually listened back to it, it was just not happening. So thank you for take two and coming back to share more goodness. I know that this conversation will be exactly what it needs to be. My pleasure. You've actually got me to escape the morning chaos of school drop-off. So I had a good excuse to skip it today. Right. 
handball that to very good grandparents. So <laughs> thank yes, you. Yes, yes. I look forward to that being our reality next year too, when grandparents and aunts and uncles are all within reach too. Okay, so to restart this conversation, as if we're starting it for the first time, I love to just open by having you kind of paint the picture of what the family and business dynamic looks like. So when you started your business, and I know you have two little ones, so where did they fall in that timeline? Business first, babies first, and how's that been developing over there? Got it. So I burst a business and my first baby within about six months of each other. I finished my studies doing a PhD and then I thought I'd launch straight into my own business. And then I fell pregnant within six months of starting that business. And I was really lucky. My first montage was after about the first 12 weeks, a brilliant sleeper. And I know not all mums are lucky to have that, but he napped a lot. And I literally started to build, as you call it now, a nap time empire. Mm. Uh, one of my beautiful friends said to me, you'll never get as much done in your life as what you do during nap times. Like it's the best productivity tool you'll ever have. And she was so right. You know, there were days when I wanted to nap and I did nap. And, you know, we all know sometimes that's the best thing that you can do. But I was also gifted a lot of time because he was such a prolific sleeper. So I literally started to build a business and it was in the early days, it was predominantly a speaking business. So I would travel around talking to teachers more or less in the early days. And then it sort of started to shift. I started to get a lot more inquiries. And I think because I'd, I call becoming a parent life's greatest equalizer. Mm. Um, I think it matters what walk of life you're from. There is nothing that really puts you on an equal playing field like becoming a parent you never experience the depths of love and the depths of fear and you know that that sense of overwhelm that only comes with being a parent so over time my business started to shift and really I realized how much misinformation and how many myths were out there about raising young kids in the digital age and I think you know becoming a parent was actually the greatest gift for my business because it really helped me to hone in and understand the, the issues and the concerns and the guilt that we all feel about raising kids in this digital world so it shifted and I've since first a second baby another little baby boy called Billy and I travel throughout Australia and Asia talking predominantly to parents but also to teachers and more and more so recently to health professionals about what kids really need to thrive in this digital world both online and offline. So your PhD is in I looked at technology and its impact on young children, so how it affects their learning, in particular their maths learning. And what drew you to that? Because this was before you were pregnant. I mean, I imagine that you knew you wanted to have kiddos one day, but like, what drew you to studying that in the first place? So I was a teacher and I just got asked to to do a guest lecture at a university one day. And I realized when I wanted to do the guest lecture that there was a real lack of research with young kids and technology. It was a real Um. field. And I could see from a a teacher's perspective how the technology was changing the way kids learnt. But we didn't have a whole lot of research and there was a lot of scaremongering. You know, technology is bad for kids. Young children should be in the sandpit and not playing on screens. And there was this sense that technology was toxic and it was taboo for young children. So I started to actually dive into the research and saw a real gap. So I kept teaching part-time and did a PhD and I did it in an express period. I had very romanticized notions that I would actually fall pregnant while I was doing my PhD and had this very naive, as you do before you've had children, but a very naive view of, you know, breastfeeding and typing a PhD with one hand. (laughs) And, you know, putting the baby on the bunny rug on the floor and 
typing away. You know, I'm so grateful that that didn't unfold. You know, God had a bigger plan and a, a much smarter plan for me. So I finished the PhD. And then, yeah, as I said, it, it was actually a awful conversation I had with my child. My, my, we have clinic nurses here. And when I took my eldest son um, for his six-month check, I'd been to the pediatrician and we got the all clear, but I was the A-type mum. So I thought the pediatrician may have overlooked something or missed something. So I took him <laughs> for a check with the clinic nurse and she was doing all the regular checks you know is he having tummy time is he babbling is he starting solids and then she turned to me and she didn't know what I did for work so she didn't know I was a researcher in this field and asked me what apps I was using with my son and he was six months and I almost fell off my chair and she asked me again and I started to think she's tricking me you know she's trying to see am I giving my baby screen time because you know there's a lot of stigma and we're told don't do it and it's bad for kids right. so she was to trick me and she proceeded to tell me that at six months of age he should be on my iPad and he should be learning his letters, shapes, colours and nursery rhymes on the iPad at the ripe old age of six months. I was absolutely flabbergasted. I hadn't, you know, foolishly first time mum mistake made the appointment at nine in the morning. So hadn't had a coffee, <laughs> you know, sleep deprived, incoherent and I was flabbergasted by her questioning. And I went home, gathered my thoughts and ironically I started a social media campaign the babies need laps not apps and of course that social media campaign went viral and then girls in my mother's group started asking me you know is it okay if my child watches baby einstein dvds and my husband watches sport all weekend with the baby on his lap and i realized you know from jones questioning to the girls in my mother's group there was no one actually making this information and the research that i love another self-confessed nerd here (laughs) no one was translating that and making it digestible and accessible to parents you know and to health professionals and as a teacher I knew this research wasn't getting that far down the pipeline so yeah it's sort of I wish I had a more glamorous story but I sort of fell into my work from there I love it because it's to me, it's jaw-dropping to imagine. I mean, I know that we all have technology and screens everywhere, but I still just can't imagine a nurse actually asking and being so certain that, like, this is exactly... Of course, you need to be, you know, indoctrinating the little ones with their ABC. I mean, regardless, ABCs, whether it was on the screen or flashcard at six months, that's just like, nah, you don't have to do that. But that's why I'm so thankful that there are people like you and that you did follow that nudge because one of my favorite things is your approach to it where you're very clear. And I like how you use the word alarmist as in not to be an alarmist and we don't need to jump to these wild, crazy, controversial, sure to go viral conclusions about screen time and when the guidelines change and what that has to mean for everyone. And so I just really appreciate your approach and your perspective from having one foot in the real life with your two little ones and then another foot in academia to be able to be that bridge to translate for us because it's so valuable and I mean, so needed because it's all still so new and it's just going to continue to evolve. And I think it's tricky again, from the research perspective, like how do you even keep up? Because the technology is changing so fast that by the time they figure out the research on one particular thing, well, now there's a totally different thing, you know, like how is this working Snapchat filters and how is that going to change how they view themselves or something like that? You know, like I'm very curious too, from a communication perspective about social media in particular and how it's all evolved. So this is very interesting. We could have some seriously nerdy conversations about this and I'm sure that we will. 
But let's go back to the Naptime Empire aspect. Because again, that's why I'm like, you're such a perfect guest for Naptime Empires because what you actually practice and preach and your business is centered around something that's super relevant to this particular crowd, but also you're part of it. So I'm curious about the meta side of like you and your business evolving. And I'm selfishly curious because I have a feeling that I'm going to want to do more in-person stuff once we move back to Texas. And so I'm curious, how did you make that work? And then what ended up shifting from having that more in-person model whenever, especially when he was super young? Yeah. A couple of things that I did that really enabled me to build my business around my babies was to accept and over time ask for support. Mm. I will admit early on, I was terrible at doing this. I tried to be super mum and do everything. And, you know, I had the moments on the kitchen floor crying and my husband would walk home and instead of the baby crying, it would be me crying. Yeah. Moments of self-doubt. So, you know, in the early stages, I couldn't afford, you know, the nanny or the babysitter. So I did a babysitting swap with a friend. Yes. You know, a dedicated chunk of time to actually get some work done beyond nap time. And that was brilliant. You know, graciously accepting support. I think I tried to be a bit of a martyr at some points and really think I could do it all. And it wasn't, you know, until my mum actually said to me, Christy, you know, we really love spending time with the kids. It's a gift for us. And I'd never even thought it you know, thought of it from her perspective, I always thought, you know, not that it was a burden, but, you know, I was asking for help. And it was her reframe that really made me see that, you know, it was a gift that she was offering and that she benefited and my other, my parents-in-law too. So definitely asking for support when you need it, accepting it, graciously accepting it when it is offered. And simple things like support in terms of having a group of like-minded people. I'm very lucky that I've got a mastermind group and it is the biggest blessing. They're mums in business who are understand you know the joy and the juggle of of blending and I'm really careful about the word balance we can talk about that perhaps later but blending motherhood and business together and so the support from that mastermind group we meet in person once a month at a a cafe um, and it's just so fantastic to bounce ideas off each other and sometimes you know we're dealing with you know, teething toddlers or other times we're trying to figure out, you know, a way to launch a product. So we deal with the duality of of what Mm -hmm. it is like to be a mum in business. So that's been fantastic. And the other thing with support is where possible, um, and this has really helped my business to grow in the last little while, is to seek external support in the form of outsourcing. So when you're in a position to outsource parts of your business you're either not particularly good at or that don't bring you joy, to start to do that as early on as possible. Okay, so talk to me about the idea of balance or the non idea of it really, because again, that's something that it is highly personal for everyone, kind of like defining success, right? Like everyone has their own definition of success and everyone has their own definition of what balance looks like. But for most people I know, it's kind of an eye roll, like a something to aspire to, but really it is, it's more about redefining or choosing a different word, like integrating because balance implies that it's going to be like equal parts of a pie and that's not necessarily realistic. So what is your take on it? So when you said that, the word balance usually implies, like if we were to think about walking along a tightrope, if you successfully walk along the tightrope, basically the two points of that rope have to be in tension, like they have to be pushing or pulling against each other. Mm. And I felt in life, you know, in the early days in particular, and I'll admit I still have moments like this, you know, where I feel 
now my business is requiring my energy and my time and then my kids and my husband are demanding that too and I want to be able to give to both. So a couple of months ago, I ditched the aspiration for balance and I started to look and it's more than just semantics, looking at blending. How can I blend being a mum and running a business together in a way that fuels me? So it really forced me to redefine, as you said, what does success look like for me? Because success isn't one or the other. Success isn't just being a good mum or just running a good business. You know, true soulful success for me means that doing both of them and doing both of them well. And I had the pinnacle moment this was a few years ago but I didn't learn the lesson at the time but I'd won a consultancy role with McDonald's they were launching an app here in Australia and I was an calling an academic partner and we had a conference call lined up the project timing had blown out from a whole series of cascading events but it turned out that the project was actually still running after I'd had Billy my second child and we'd organized a conference call and I was feeding Billy I was breastfeeding Billy on this conference call thankfully it wasn't a video call just an audio call Um, and I thought I had you know everything together you know sleep deprived but I sort of had some ideas coherently organized on paper and there were a team of you know executives from McDonald's on this call and during the conference call, one of the gentlemen interjected and said, oh, you know, there's a really strange sound on this call. We might call it that. <laughs> I actually let them hang up the call. I knew exactly what it was. Billy was a really loud feeder. He was a typical man. You know, really <laughs> we got the grunting and the suckling noises. Anyway, they're in there. And he was a long feeder too, so the noise persisted. And so funny. I was mortified. I thought, do I say something? Don't I say something? And there were predominantly males or a couple of females on the call. And I thought, I'm going to be honest. I really love authenticity. And I thought, I'm just going to have to tell them. Otherwise, you know, they might hear, you know, the other end in a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Embarrassing. And that did happen to me in an interview with a journalist. (laughs) If I'm feeding or my kids are in near proximity, I'm always direct about it. Anyway, I ended up telling them that it was a, you know, my baby. And they knew I had a newborn baby, that the baby, it was the baby feeding. And I think that perhaps that was the funny noise or the interference they could hear. And I felt so awkward at first about saying it because I had this belief, you know, that McDonald's, a big corporation would want someone equally professional. And I sort of had to hide the fact that I was a mum and a mum with a newborn baby and just sort of put on, almost put on my corporate suit to sit on this conference call. Mm. It was during that conversation that someone said, oh, that, you know, that's wonderful and isn't that great that you can do both of them at the same time? And it was actually one of the leading executives on this campaign who said, wow, we know we picked the right person because this was an app that was being designed for parents and they wanted a parent, a digital parenting expert. And he said, you are, you know, you're obviously right in the trenches. And it dawned on me, you know, I don't have to segregate the two. They don't have to be intention. I can sort of blend them together. So that was one of those lovely moments. And again, I didn't learn the lesson right at that point. But over time, I've realized that it's so much easier when I look at how I can do the two together, as opposed to segregating them as well. I love that story so much for so many reasons, because even on a 
communication side, you know, and being able to just realize there doesn't have to be a wall between you and them. And also when people are like corporate, 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 I'm like, who do you think makes up corporate? It's people, right? It's people. And it's so easy to forget, especially, especially if it's like a giant corporation that's like known around the world, of course you could feel intimidated or feel like you have to be someone other than you are. So I love how much that story represents like, no, actually you can be exactly as you are. And I remember the first time I heard it and you were saying like, that's when I realized that being a mom was actually my greatest asset. And I think so many people feel like they have to hide it. And it's not to say we all have to do webinars and live calls while we're nursing or anything. But earlier today, somebody commented on an older video. Actually, it was a Facebook Live where I think it was the first Facebook Live where I mentioned Naptime Empires and Deacon was in my arms. And he was so little. Oh, man. He was probably like maybe four, maybe five months old. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that video with him because I, I mean, I have other videos, but they just sit in my phone. It's not as easy to see. But I remember people being like, oh, I'm so glad to see you sometimes, yeah, having your kids in the videos or sometimes, yeah, acknowledging that you've got to run to go change a diaper or somebody's hungry or waking up because it's like, right, real life is going on for all of us, whether you have kids or not, and lots of people do and lots of people don't, and that's fine, but it doesn't change your credibility and it doesn't change the value that you have to offer. And in many cases, it makes you even more valuable for that exact reason that you shared so kids are also I think I often refer to having my kids as the greatest recalibration tool because you really are forced to recalibrate your priorities and your values and to reassess what's important so they it's almost like this forced um, contemplation of what's really important and what you value and as you said I think people really appreciate that rawness and you being authentic as well let's talk about the basic kind of guidelines, because I just want, I want this to be also super practical for people to, because you talk about, or we, I mean, we all talk about mom guilt, but techno guilt is a big one and something that you share a lot on in your workshops and everything. And also in your book, which we want to talk about too, but like, what are some of those basic guidelines? And I know you're not necessarily a fan of saying like a time, but just some general rules, you know, for those of us who are like, okay, just one more minute. Okay. Here's your iPad or whatever. Like what are good guidelines for what makes quality screen time and how do we know quality screen time versus green time and you know, like how do we manage that? What are your basic 101 kind of tips? Sure. So kids definitely need screen time limits because if we didn't, um, you know, apply them, they would walk around with their digital appendage 24-7. Yep. You know, we find it hard to turn off our devices as adults and our brain architecture and our impulse control is a lot better developed than our kids. So we definitely, kids definitely need limits. We do have screen guidelines that are recommendations. And look, we need to be mindful. Kids can use certain amounts of screen time. What I say to parents is rather than focusing just on the how much, figure out what's a good tipping point for your children. Many of us have endured our kids' techno tantrums when we ask for our iPhone back or the laptop lid to be shut or the TV to be turned off. So what we want to look for is an amount of time that doesn't always result in the techno tantrum. We also need to consider what are our kids doing with a screen? Are they being active? You know, are they interacting or are they being passive? You know, sitting there like the digital zombie. Is it education or is it entertainment? 
um, you know, is it leisure, is it learning? So we need to look at the what they're doing with the screen. We also need to, and a couple of things that we haven't really thought about is when, what time of the day are kids using screens? We've got lots of research that tells us that the 90 minutes before nap time or sleep time can actually, the use of screens can interfere with um, the, the onset of sleep. And we also need to look at how kids are using screens. You know, are they using them in the right ways for their vision and their hearing and their posture? So some, you know, we need to certainly look at the how much piece, but also beyond that, what are they using? When are they using it? And how are they using it? So that we don't need to feel guilty about a bit of screen time each day. And if, as you said, they're getting some green time, time outside, you know, all of the basic things, then we don't need to fret about their time with digital devices. And what's one thing that, or what are some of the criteria you use when you're deciding because I know once upon a time, I can't remember. I mean, it had to have been Bryson because Deacon wasn't born until, you know, 10 and a half months ago at this point as we're recording this. But I was like, I knew that you had written something on the top apps that you would actually recommend. So when people are looking for apps, and I'm serious because I need to like pass this section of the podcast over to Jeremy so he can listen because I'm like, don't just willy nilly download apps just because Bryson wants them. I mean, what would Christy say? <laughs> and I'm seriously like, no, seriously, Christy would not have prove of that one. So what are some of the criteria? I mean, you just basically explained some of it, like education versus just straight up entertainment. And are they actually being active and learning? But do you have any favorite apps that you love to shout out? Yeah, I do. Depending on the age range of kids, I often recommend looking for really good quality app developers because chances are if they've made one good quality app, they've made other ones. A couple of my favorites are Tokoboka. They make brilliant play-based apps. And again, it's encouraging kids to use language, to be interactive. They're not sitting there, you know, passively watching YouTube clips. And it's not to say they should never do that. You know, there's merits in kids watching you know, educational YouTube clips or informational YouTube clips. But when children are playing and interacting with their screen, their brain's switched on. They're using their higher order thinking. So Tokoboka is usually one of my favourites. I also recommend Nosy Crow. They've brought to life all of the traditional fairy tales in amazingly interactive book apps. And they've also brought to life, do you remember the flip-flap books where you could flip half the page and flip yep. the other half? They've brought to life that in a digital version. Um, oh, crazy, really clever. So for kids of the, that sort of preschool age range, for older children, some really good quality apps, particularly educational types of apps, a company called Shiny Things. They're an Australian company. They have made some incredibly engaging and interactive maths apps. So many kids, you know, hate maths, find it hard to learn, but these are very much game-based apps and they let kids experience success. So they're more likely to, you know, rehearse and practice their times tables if they know that they're incrementally making success and they actually are disguised as games so shiny things is another one and motion math are another company that makes them brilliant if you're looking for purely educational content but the best app any parent wherever you are in the world can download it's free common sense media they've made an app called kids media and they review apps websites movies television shows video games so you can download this onto any device android or ios device and you can search for whatever the media is that your child's looking at and you can get a review as to whether it's age appropriate 
So that is my tip for all parents to download that free app. Okay, cool. And I will link to all these in the show notes. y'all. So don't worry about, you know, writing it all down right now. You can just go to naptimeempires.com, search for Christy, and you will find the show notes there. So, okay. Well, that also just made me think of, because the other day we love Tokoboka apps here too. And the other day, Bryson and I were looking for a video on Spanish because he's in a Spanish class at school. And I was just wondering if there were any good YouTube videos that would be fun for us to watch together to practice nuestro español. And so there was, I'm pretty sure it was like an endless numbers because you recommended once upon a time an endless numbers app. And so there was an endless Spanish one or something like that. But I made sure to be looking at who had actually uploaded that video to YouTube. We were watching it on the TV together. But because of what you were talking about the other day, which is where people are uploading videos that seem like they're kid friendly. And then a couple minutes in, there could be something horrible. And I think that's what you were talking about. I haven't clicked the YouTube from your Australian Today show clip, but can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that a lot of people probably have no idea this is a thing and it's very important because they can't unsee this stuff. Absolutely. And that's one of the, the perils of the online world. One of the potential pitfalls is that our kids can be introduced to content that isn't age appropriate. So the latest trend that's happening to some kids' YouTube channels is that they're being content is being digitally doctored. So you might get the first two or three minutes of a normal looking Peppa Pig episode. And then someone edits the video. So you might then have interspersed between Peppa Pig, Peppa Pig being massacred, you know, gross age inappropriate, violent content that's woven into these videos and kids are seeing them. As you said, it's just awful. You know, I worked in a, in a school in Australia recently where a older sibling of a child, this was a seven-year-old child and his nine-year-old brother thought it would be funny to show his younger brother violent, aggressive pornography. Oh, no. And this, you know, seven, and this was at home and this seven-year-old boy is still having trouble sleeping because he says to his dad, I can't rub the photos out of my eyeballs. Mm. And so that is one of the risks. And, you know, kids are playing in digital playgrounds without often adult supervising. So we have to be careful of those risks. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of fear mongering and we need to be alert, but not alarmed. Mm. You know, the technology is here to stay. So, you know, digitally abstaining or amputating our kids from screens isn't the solution. We've got to make sure that they're safe when they are online and teach them those healthy habits so that they're not at risk of seeing things that little eyes shouldn't. That just reminds me of that Facebook Live that you did on what to do and how to handle it whenever your kiddo does see something inappropriate or violent. And again, like to no fault of your own, there's only so much that we can do to shield and shelter them. I mean, we're not with them all the time and it could just be one friend at school or one friend's big brother or sister who happens to have a phone with internet access. And so I'm going to link to that Facebook live because you gave some really good tips there and we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes as well. Another fascinating thing, I know now we're just diving into your expertise because I'm selfishly like, okay, while we have you here, because (laughs) it's just so valuable. But one of the things that you talked about that was very fascinating to me was digital dementia. So can you explain what that means? Yeah, so I often ask when I run seminars, who can remember more than three phone numbers without going to their contacts on their phone? You know, would you be able to follow three or four step instructions on how to get to somewhere? And chances are most of us don't. 
what we're actually doing is it's called the fancy word for it is called cognitively offloading and we're offloading some of our memory making skills to our devices basically we're drowning in information we're, we're suffering from something called infobesity and that's why we're all overwhelmed you know the pace of change and the amount of information that's out there is overwhelming and we know we can't commit it all to memory so we're offloading some of our memory making skills to our devices and this can be a positive thing but it can also be a negative thing you know as parents we're often attached to our digital devices and we're also suffering from something called FOM which is fear of making memories Mm. moment if I've captured it on my phone or um, you know you're at the park and you want to recreate a moment and we're not you know I watched my son's preschool graduation last year with a toddler so we were stuck at the back of the room and I watched it through a sea of mobile phones you know capturing the moment and there's nothing you know I do it as well but I think we have to be mindful that we could actually miss the moment if we're digitally distracted all the time so yeah, our phones are wonderful and I couldn't live without mine, but they also have the potential to rob us of our two most important resources as humans, um, especially as parents, and that is our time and our attention. Man, it's so interesting. Another thing, I think you said this in our first conversation that is now just for us and the spotty internet connection that we shared to connect us across the world, still a miracle. But I think we were talking about how, or maybe it was in a Facebook post and you were just saying like, this is the first kind of issue that we can't just be like, okay, parents, what did y'all do? What did that previous generation do? How did you handle this? Cause this is something where we're all human experiments. And it's such an interesting thing that like, again, makes me thankful that people like you step up to fill the gap and bridge the gap to help explain what do we actually know? What do we not know? What's the information out there so that we can make the best decisions for us and for our families and things. But in particular, like you were saying earlier, we're all attached to our own devices. And I'm thinking about that state of insufficiency and infobesity. Of course, I wrote that down because I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's just overloaded empty, you know, it's just, it's out there. I think of the thousands of pictures that I've taken, even when just digital before phones had cameras, but like digital, when my 14 year old nephew was born and digital cameras were a thing. And I was like, wow, we have so many pictures of him. Maybe one day when I have kids, I'll go through once a month and pick like my favorite five pictures of that month or whatever. But can you speak to that state of insufficiency and what are some tips for us as grownups? Because again, it's all about what they're seeing us do. And I just wonder like, okay, Deacon's never known me without my phone. Like what can we do just to help kind of unplug? Because it is, it's like our brains are training and we're already grown up and developed. So imagine these little ones who have never known anything different. I think of the phone numbers that I know, they were all phone numbers I had to know because it was before cell phones came around, you know, but I couldn't tell you like a new friend's phone number basically. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So one of the reasons that we find it so hard to put down our digital appendage is that use of these technologies actually has a neurobiological change on our brain. And this is exactly why our kids have techno tantrums when we ask for our phone back or for the TV to be switched off. Their brain is literally undergoing a neurobiological response. So one of the reasons that we find it, particularly if we're working in the online world or we use our device for work purposes as well, is that we enter something called the state of insufficiency when we're using technology. Basically, there is no finishing point. There's no finite point where you see a deadline or a full stop unlike a book 
or a Lego puzzle that has a very clear line of demarcation as to when you're done. Ah. Online world is never ending. You never, ever feel finished. You never, ever feel complete. You know, you can empty your inbox. You can check your Facebook feed. You can check Instagram and there's always something else. So for our kids, this is why it's so hard to switch off, especially with things like YouTube, because it is literally that state of insufficiency. Television, you know, years and years gone by, I know when I grew up, we had one program that was for kids and it was on at two times of the day at 9.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon and that was it. But now kids are spoiled for choice. Right. Sensory seductions, everywhere they look, there's something that's vying for their attention. So, yeah, we never, ever get that sense of being complete or finished. And it's hard. But that's why kids definitely do need screen time limits because otherwise they would keep going with the device. Some things that have worked for me because I feel the pull too. You know, I get an alert or a notification and I feel that pull. Like we literally, we also call this other phenomenon called phantom vibration syndrome, which is, you know, you get yes. body but that's a sign you know our body is having a biological response to these devices so things that I've done to try and stop my use of the device encroaching on my life and my time with my kids is putting it away like literally popping it in we've got a walk-in pantry near our kitchen I pop it in there from the moment the kids come home in the afternoon till they've gone to bed at night so that I'm not digitally distracted I've got it on so if anyone urgently needs to contact me they can but there's nothing you know there's no temptation there's nothing trying to seduce my attention so that's worked well for me really trying to have dedicated tech-free time we desperately need this We need unplugged time. So I've tried to intentionally carve that out, usually over the weekend, but designated times of the day where I can go without using a device. And for me, another thing that's worked really well is having dedicated social media hours because that is a really huge time suck for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. I found that actually scheduling that in and trying where I can to stick to that has made that a little bit more helpful as well. I'm totally going to have to physically put it somewhere else and just experiment and baby step my way into that because I know I feel so much better when I'm not, it's like I literally can be holding it and then just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and I go through the same, okay, mail, Facebook, pages, app, Instagram. And it's like, what am I even doing and how much time I actually spend doing that and not intentionally just out of sheer habit. And it's like, I've really got to do something to actually break it. And the one weekend that I did, it was so amazing when I was like, I'm not going to any of the apps all weekend. And I think I started it on a Friday night. I was like, okay. And honestly, Christy, it was just while I slept because I had been doing it while I slept, basically like in between when Deacon would wake up and I'd come back to bed and then I'd just be scrolling on my phone. And I'm like, what are you doing? Go to sleep, you crazy woman. And so I was like, okay, just till I wake up. Okay, cool. Well, that was really great. And I got some better sleep. Okay. What if I did it till tonight? And then I committed to the whole weekend. I read a book, an actual paperback or a hardcover, but you know, an in my hands book and then half of another one. Like it's just so bizarre how easy it is to stay plugged in all the time on autopilot and not even realize it. So it's got it. There has to be some kind of like conscious shift in accountability to at least experiment and see what, you know, makes sense for you and everything. Cause again, we can't, or we don't necessarily have to do away with it. There's so many great things. And obviously we met because of the internet and because of technology, but like, man, it can so easily zap, like you said, those two precious resources of time and attention. Can I just explain why I think yes, why our kids 
you know, find it so hard to switch off and why we get the techno tantrums. It's exactly the same reason that you got that, you know, I call it the Facebook fix. Like you feel good once you start looking at it and our brain releases the neurotransmitter dopamine, literally the feel-good hormone when we're using technology. So that's why it can have that addictive pull because we get a little squirt of dopamine in our brain when we're using technology and our kids get exactly the same thing. doesn't necessarily mean we're addicted, mm-hmm. but it does mean that we're getting like that feel-good hormone. You talked about something that I am so passionate about. I call it digital sabbaticals or screen-free Sundays, but just some dedicated tech-free time. Our brains need it and, more importantly, our kids do too. What we talk about is that when we turn off our phones and have a tech-free break, we enter something called mind-wandering mode. So this is where you might, I don't know if this has happened to you, but you get your best ideas in the shower. Yeah, for sure. Or when you wake up first thing in the morning, basically you've entered mind wandering mode. And this is a mode of thinking that's so important, but we're worried that the kids aren't getting into this because they're always plugged in. They're always processing information and looking at things. They don't get the gift of boredom. So literally unplugging kids and ourselves as well, be it, you know, even just for a couple of hours, a weekend is fantastic. But some sort of digital detox can work really, really well at recalibrating our brain as well. I'm so glad you said that because I had doodled over here on my notebook board because I remember you talking about that and so many people are like, okay, is it okay? I mean, forget about the screens associated with it, but moms of infants who are like, okay, I'm like running out of stuff to say to him, you know, how can I keep my kid entertained? And I'm like, actually, and then I go and I find your video and I share it because I'm like, it's okay. And it's good for them to be exploring and playing and kind of learning about the world around them. Obviously, as long as they're safe and you're nearby and they're supervised, not just like, see you kid, I'm going to be downstairs for, you know, the day, but like actually giving little ones space to explore and learn and sense the world around them, like the actual physical sensory experience is so valuable. So important. One of the best gifts you can give your kids is the gift of boredom. And I think we're under so much pressure as modern parents to always be, you know, entertaining and providing for our kids. And one of the best things we can actually do is give them the space. You know, I call it white space. We lead lead such regimented and full lives that our kids really need that white space in their day where they can just sort of explore and experiment and have that full sensory experience as well. It's been really fun to watch this year as Bryson's gone from, I mean, the last six months, just from going from four and a half to five, how much his drawing skills have developed, you know, and like his creativity and the stories and the things that he's telling and just the way that he plays has just changed so much in six months that I'm like, right, I can see now. And it's really getting to a fun age where I'm like, I know what he's drawing. I can see what he's drawing. He can communicate. He's starting to write. And it's so cute because he'll write you know, just like word spaghetti. He just writes whatever or letter soup, alphabet soup. And then he'll be like, what does that say? You know, just a bunch of letters together, like expecting it to magically be a word. And it's just so fun. So I think I'm excited that we're getting through this phase where he's actually having a lot of fun doing the green time activities, you know, cause he's like the synapses are firing and the light bulbs are going off and he's like, Oh, this is fun. There's so many things where he used to just be like, well, can I watch a show or can I watch a movie? And sometimes we do, But I lately, I'm like, okay, well, let's do some drawing for a little while first, you know, or you can bring your notebook into my office while I'm working. And then he's just sitting there doodling and it's so fun to watch. So, okay, as we wrap up, I would love to know, because this is something that you and I have talked about, and this is kind of normally at this point, what I say is just 
Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would want to leave with our Naptime Empire buddy listening to us in her earbuds? And I would love to frame it if I could to just maybe sharing a story of when you were at a moment where you were like, I can't do this. What am I doing? Why am I doing both of this? Is it even worth it? And then I know that, I mean, we all have those moments, but I know that you've had some of those moments and I'm just curious, what was it that you told yourself or thought, you know, that ended up pulling you through to be like, yes, this is worth it. This journey is worth the hard times because it's worth the good times too. Yeah. Look, I'll be totally honest. And I have many moments where I questioned that less recently where I've started to shift from balancing to blending. That's made a really big difference. But one of the key moments was standing in an airport. So I live in Sydney on the east coast of Australia and I flew right over to the other side of the west coast to Perth and I was presenting and Billy was about eight or nine months at the time and was exclusively breastfed. So leading to my departure, I had spent literally hours and hours pumping milk to leave enough supply for the two days. I was way overnight just one night and I was standing at Perth airport ready to come back home I had been pumping the whole time in between my keynote address workshops so had an esky full of freshly (laughs) expressed milk ready to transport back and I was on the red eye last moment flight to get back to Sydney and I could feel something wet on the side of my dress and I looked down and of course all of the expressed milk had leaked out of the And for anyone, you know, hormonal woman, literally hours, it's liquid gold. My husband used to call it liquid gold and it was heartbreaking. And so that was enough to make me start to cry. And then over the loudspeaker, they announced that the flight had been cancelled mm. and there wouldn't be a flight to the next morning. And I had that full sobbing hysteric without, I must have looked like an absolute crazy woman standing in that flight queue. Really was that, what am I doing? I can't juggle this. So the flight got cancelled and thankfully everything got sorted and I managed to get back to Sydney with very full boobs and a very excited baby. You know, that moment was one of those where I had to start to think about what I was doing. And, you know, I got an email, as you often do, when I landed back to Sydney from someone who'd heard me speak in Perth Mm -hmm. who said that what I'd shared was so important for her family and it made a real difference you know in her life already and it hit me that maybe what I'm doing is really important and try and find a way to do both of them but without I guess the extra pressure right and flights and anyway it all worked out. But yeah, I've definitely had those moments. And I think it's that belief in knowing why you're doing what it is that you do. I think if you've got a really powerful and motivating and authentic reason for why, you will find a way and things will work out. So, and I think not to postpone progress. I'd always, you know, I'll wait till the children are a bit older, but I think getting in there and just doing what you can with the time that you've got available is another good bit of advice as well. I love that. And I love the story, which reminds me of the pumping story that I know I have told you because I, thankfully, me and Deegan have been pretty inseparable for most of this first year. But the one day that I did flee the country and I went north to Toronto to do some videos with Natalie McNeil, first of all, going through customs with all the breast milk, I was like, does this count as dairy? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Does this count as a thing? Like, is this okay to bring through? But I was like feeling so sly 
when I was pumping and I was like super stealth mode with, I had a cover and then I had borrowed my cousin's portable pump. So it didn't have to be plugged in. And I was like, Oh yeah, I got this under control and we have to pump a couple times a day, whatever. And then I got up to go to the bathroom cause I was going to rinse the pump parts. And then I got to the bathroom and realized H to the naw, that's not going to happen because the sink was like two inches deep. So I would have been touching the pump parts to the actual sink and that wasn't going to happen. So I turned back around to walk back to my seat and the guy in front of me, it was just like my solo seat and then his solo seat. And then this little tiny like bed skirt that was hanging from the ceiling to separate the first cabin from where I was. And he holds up my pumping bra and he's like, is this yours? (laughs) And I had forgotten to, I did all the things and I disassembled my whole self and got myself put back together but I had forgotten to like swing the nursing bra off of my waist. So when I stood up to walk confidently and super smugly toward the bathroom, the <laughs> nursing bra had draped itself over his seat in armrest. And I was like, Oh dude, dude. But again, I really don't, I don't even think he knew what it was, but I mean, it was, I was so smug too. I have a selfie now. I'll have to post a picture in the show notes of the selfie of me smugly pumping like, Ooh, naptime empires, hashtag naptime empires. <laughs> I've got this under control. And then, yeah, that's the stuff. You have to be able to laugh and to be able to cry and to be able to pull yourself together, man, and keep moving forward. Cause it is worth it. And I am so thankful to you for being a living example of it. But again, just really like this practical wealth of knowledge that sits between your ears and thankfully now in book form. So, and we talked about this kind of at the end and I still don't have a real plan for it yet as we're recording this, but I will let you, our fellow friend and listener know that I want to do a giveaway of Christie's book. So come on into the group again, go to naptimeempires.com. We have just find the link wherever it is to join our Facebook group, the Naptime Empires Playground. And we'll do a giveaway because I really I want as many people to know about your work as possible because it's important to just be intentional and there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no, like you said, no alarm. It's just, this is important stuff to think about. So thank you again so much for coming back on for in theory, you're like my first repeat guest of two full <laughs> episodes. <laughs> and yeah, I, I definitely wanted this to be in the first batch because it's so important. So where can we find you again? Obviously we'll have your show notes and we'll link all these places up, but where are the best places for folks to connect with you and learn more from you? So my digital home is Dr. Christy Goodwin, K-R-I-S-T-Y, goodwin.com. And there are links there. There's a whole lot of frequently asked questions because I know parents have lots of digital dilemmas. So you can go in and find answers to your digital dilemmas. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as well. Fabulous. Well, Dr. Christy, I appreciate you in so many ways. Thank you again. My pleasure. And thanks for getting me out of school run too. (laughs) Bonus. This show may be over, but the conversation is just beginning. Head on over to naptimeempires.com slash Facebook so you can join my free... Wait, did I say free? I'm in priceless, rapidly growing community of Naptime Empire Builders for deeper discussions, behind-the-scenes scoop, and of course, updates whenever I've got new stuff coming up for you. naptimeempires.com slash Facebook. See you there. See you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 